Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we continue our series, Uncensored. As we continue our look at the Sermon on the Mount, we hear Jesus' words that we are salt and light. Our speaker this morning is Nate Cummings, our children's pastor. We're reminded that as we hear Jesus speak, his words are light and beauty, and they strike at our hearts. Listen as we discover ways to purify and preserve like salt, and to be light that reveals and guides others to God's truths. We're challenged to not cover the light nor underestimate our influence on people's lives. Now when he saw the crowds gathering, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began teaching them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those, the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus goes on for about 10 minutes. And shares these punchlines, these, these amazing statements that still today resonate even in our culture. Going the extra mile, turn the other cheek. And some people don't even realize how those words shaped the church. In just 10 minutes, Jesus shares this amazing sermon. And I've been spending the last month off and on reading just like three or four verses and it's wrecked me and inspired me and, and, and been this amazing thing that, that God has been able to do in my own life that I, I, I barely am going to be able to do in 35 minutes with you. There's a crowd gathered of, of people, and I can imagine it seeing him up on that mountainside. People that were close to him and, and close to God and, and wanted to, to, to learn everything that they could. Others that maybe were very far from him, but heard about this Jesus guy and that, that he was doing some really cool things and they wanted to check him out. And there's this mixture of people that when he's saying these things about being sad and mournful, those that are trying to do the right thing and those that are far, like those are pure in heart. I know when I read them, parts of it made me go, yes, that's me. I want that. I want that supernatural blessing, that favor from God. Other parts of it that like go, I want to be like that, but I'm not. There's things that I read from Jesus's words, his own words, when I read them myself that are light and, and beauty and other things that strike in my heart. And I go, I don't measure up. The Sermon on the Mount is the most amazing sermon packed in about 10 minutes. You could try it at home, read it just straight through about 10 minutes. That's it. And we wanted to, this series, this summer, take an uncensored look at it to just like read Jesus' words and see what we see. And not sometimes as Christians, Sometimes the Christian name has become this hypocritical, mixed-up word. Some people live up to what we think and hope Christianity or a Christian would be. Others get it completely mixed up. And in the name of Christianity, people do great things and, and horrible things. But one of the things that I was struck by when I was prepping for this sermon was the word Christian and where it came from. 
And in the New Testament, you actually don't see Christians calling themselves Christians. They were disciples. You see it actually in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up and his, who followed him? His disciples followed him. And if you actually look at the New Testament in a different light and look for that word disciple, it will reveal some unique things. And a disciple is hard to get around. A disciple is a learner, a follower. It's somebody who, when they sit at the, when they, they see a teacher and they, and they're listening to him, they're going to follow and do everything that they can that the teacher says. Whether they like it or not, they're just like, yeah, okay, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do whatever you say. And so Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, he gives a picture of what it looks like to be a disciple. And he starts with this amazing vision of a blessing, a favor from God that can be for those that are not the strong and the prideful, those that are, are mighty and, and hold a lot. No, it's for those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's, it's everything that Pastor David, two weeks ago, he talked about the Beatitudes, this, this amazing thing. And if you didn't hear that sermon, I'd encourage you to go back online and, and listen to it. Because he expands upon these statements, these attitudes, this th- mindset that those that call themselves disciples of Jesus have. And today I am going to share with you the salt and light. This passage right after that, he shares these attitudes and then he shares these two statements that for me, I thought I knew, but as I continue to read and study and pray over this, these verses, God continues to enlighten me to new things about my own life in, in amazing, cool ways. And I hope that in some little way that God would do that for you this morning. So if you have your Bibles, whether you're on your phone or or right there in front of you, open up to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be in verses 13 through 16. Um, And I want to invite you to pray with me as we start, Um, because any of my words are not my own um, that matter, uh, but I pray that you would be, you would hear from God this morning um, and straight from Jesus' words here. So will you uh, join me in a word of prayer as I start? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you for your word. God, that, that we have the written, your written word here, that people recorded what you said through Jesus and that we can read it. And God, I pray that, that as we read it, God, that you would enlighten our hearts to understand it and then to live differently. God, that our intentions would, would pour out in the way that we live, that you would shape our heart and our behaviors. God, so right now I pray for the, uh, this crowd, this group of people, in this church, this building that really doesn't matter, but us as a people, God, may you shape us with your word and may we read it for what it is. And God, I pray that you would speak this morning. We thank you in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. So the, here's the first verse. If you want to read it with me, ready? So Matthew five thirteen. you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. One of the things, like I always knew this, this verse was powerful, that it meant something, that there was um, a lot to it. Um, and, I, and I understood some of it initially in studying it in college. But one of the things that I, as I was studying, I was reminded of is that I have to understand this passage based on how they listening to it understood it. Because today, salt, for some, salt is kind of like a, uh, no, I don't want too much salt in my food. Others are like, no, pour it on. If you ever watch David eat chips, 
um, he like he just he doesn't take like a little bit of salt. It's like every chip. Like he just like pours on the salt. I'm just like, oh man. And then other times he doesn't, but it's like with the chips at Loceros. Like watch him. Like go to the, go to lunch with him. Like he pours it on. Um, but you know, salt has this mixed understanding. And like, did you know that it actually like costs about twenty dollars to get a ton of salt? Uh, they they excavate and they get all all the salt and like it doesn't cost much. But here's the question that I, that I wanted to ask is like, what does it mean to a first century person? What is it? And, and, and this, is, this is some of the things that I, I, I got from it. In Matthew uh, 5.13, it's like, it is the second most valuable resource apart from the sun. You have the sun. If you don't have the sun, you can't work. You can't do anything. And you need light. You need sun. And, and so salt, though, it was the second most valuable thing on the planet at that time. It actually was even used as payment to Roman soldiers. A part of their rations, a part of what they were, a Roman soldier was given is not just money or gold or anything else for the part of their payment. They were given salt. Those that were in control of the salt mines or by the sea where they would, they would uh, dehydrate and, and, and get salt that way, uh, they were used to pay people. That, that's actually where we get the term salary. Did you know that? Salary comes from salt. How the Romans were paid. If you've heard the term, uh, he's worth his own salt or he's not worth his own salt. Have you, any of you heard that phrase? I barely remember that phrase. I think it might be past my time. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I know I'm young, uh, but I, I actually appreciate understanding history though. There's things that I didn't understand when, but now I, I do now deeper. There is a range of value for salt too. Uh, salt was not just used as payment. Well, why did they have it? Why was it so valuable as a payment? Well, here's a range of, of different things that you can use salt for. And one of them in the middle is what we typically will use it for is seasoning. We'll use it to, to season, to flavor things, to add it to steak and add it to uh, any, any amazing good food that you, you can eat. But at the highest value in that time, it was a preservative. At the lowest, it was a drying agent. You actually can throw it on your rooftops or on, on roads, and it would harden the roads. It would harden the rooftops. It was something because it would draw out the moisture out of it. Um, but there's a whole range of things, and it was not just used for one specific thing. But back in the day, I found out they don't have refrigerators back then. Uh, they didn't have like ways to easily make ice and transport it. They had to find ways to preserve things so they wouldn't rot, so they wouldn't go bad. And so they would use salt primarily to pack in around their food, around their meats. Um, and it, what it would do is these two things. It would purify and preserve. And that's the first bullet that I put in your, your, your outline right there. Salt purifies and preserves. That was why it was so valuable. Because without it, the meat would go bad very quick. And they want to capture and preserve that meat as, as best as they can. Or if they're going, if the armies are, tr- are, are marching and they're going on a, a war for about like several months or years, they've got to preserve every bit of resource that they have. And so they, the value of salt was huge, but it didn't just preserve, it purifies. It actually is a purifying agent if you instill it in a wound or if you instill it in different things. You can actually use it to clean and you can purify things. And this was one of the, the main values that salt was back in that day. Today, we typically use it to flavor. So what does that mean for us? So go back to Matthew 5.13, and it says what? You are the salt of the what? Earth. You are the salt of what? The earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I first read that and went like, oh, is God talking about salvation? 
Like, am I going to be thrown out if I don't like do this? But actually understanding the variations of how salt's used, it's no longer good except for, it is useful, but how useful? It's still salt. You can't change salt. It always is salt. It's actually a mineral that is from the very beginning of creation and in and, and our world, it's, it's there and, and it will always be. It just gets recycled in different ways, in different purities, in different strengths. It's always there. It always is salt. But how useful is it? On that range, where is it? If, if it's not that salty, it's going to be thrown out. Actually, what they would do is they would, um, they would take a salt bed in a, in a pool and they basically would let the sun... Remember sun, number one thing. They would, they would let the sun evaporate all the water. And what would happen is the concentration of salt water would get more and more and more. And eventually you would actually see salt crystals form in this little pool, this shallow pool. And then they would scrape it and get it and move around and these crystals would form. And eventually you would get to the point where you actually have pure salt. And so they would scrape it out and then they, you would get a bunch and then you would put it in sacks and move it on. But at the very, very bottom, it was mixed with the dirt. It was mixed with other impurities and they wouldn't use it to flavor things. They wouldn't use it to pack in around uh, meats because you wouldn't want that other dirt and other contaminants. They would only use the pure, the pure good salt. And so the other salt they would use on roads, they would use it here and there. So if I understand that Jesus is saying, okay, you are the salt of the earth. Don't lose your saltiness. There's extreme value when he is saying to a group of people that have been oppressed by the Romans, that have been beaten down and that don't have a lot. Some of them might have a little bit of wealth, but most of them probably don't. And he's saying, you are valuable more than you know. You are the very bedrock or mineral of, of, of this, what, earth. There's some value here that, that when you really dig down into Jesus is, is speaking a vision to these people. They, they typically wouldn't go 15 miles from their home. And so when Jesus is saying, you are the salt of this earth, the entire earth, and later the light of the world, what do you think those people would imagine? What? No, I'm just a lowly farmer. I, I just fish. I go on a boat and I, I, I try to get fish. I, I don't go anywhere. I don't do anything. I'm not that valuable. But Jesus here is saying, no, no, no. There's a purpose for where you are, what you're doing. You are valuable. You are there to preserve and to purify. So what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us as a people to preserve and to purify? Why would there even need to be? In, in meat, it rots. In our world, there is what? Sin, death, decay, disease, evil. There's so much in this world that is rotting. And what he's saying is those that, that followed Jesus, those that, that follow in his name, there's some way in which the way that we live our lives, that we are to act as that preserving agent, that, that purifying agent. But if we pull out what's going to happen to the world, it's going to decay. It's going to decompose. It's going to be filled with sin that, that wrecks and, and mangles. And so we, you, me, are called to be the salts of the earth. I'm going to continue to develop this. But one of the verses that also I love that I think why he used salt is because of all those different variations and meanings. And another verse that talks about salt is in Colossians. 
And this is what it says in Colossians. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Salt has all those different meanings. And I think what Jesus was doing, at least it's done in my heart and my mind over the last little while, is like I, I, I read one, one little phrase and then I go live my life. And as that phrase sits around in my head, I start to apply it or think about my food, think about the way that I preserve things in my own refrigerator or freezer differently because I'm, a, I'm thinking about what is Jesus meaning and then how do I live that life, that life out? And here we get a little clue of it, right? That our conversations would always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Like the way that I talk, that's one little clue of to how maybe I am to live as a life, a life of following Jesus, a disciple. And really, if you want to know what Jesus is talking about, read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Because you know what I think he's doing here? Is he's setting the stage for all of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. He starts by saying, you are blessed. You are blessed. You, then he transitions you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And then he goes on that, that next like nine minutes or so of that sermon is thing after thing after thing. It's, if you read them individually, you kind of might go like, what is he doing? He's like shotgun, like here, 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 like over and over and over and over again. But what I believe he's doing is he's setting a precedent with this idea of salt and light to then understand the context for how we are to understand the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. All of those individual things are how we then live out what it means to be salt, what it means to be light. And this is one little clue to it. Um, why salt, sin, disease, the things that, that tear apart our culture, our, our country, our world, things that are heartbreaking, and those the reasons why you might mourn, the reasons why the pride rise, rises up in all of that stuff that I know you have felt in your own life, things that aren't right, that start to fall apart and you want them to be right. You want them to be pure. You want them to be light and filled with goodness. You want them to be blessed, but they're not. They fall apart and, and they're maybe not quite as pure. And so why do we need the influence of salt? Well, it's because of those things. So I'm going to come back to that in just a little bit. So we then read in Turn to your Bibles in Matthew 5, 14 and 15. Next little, part, next little site. This is what he says. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and, give, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Again, you see earth, world. There's uh, an influence that expands well beyond their little town that he's, he's speaking to. There's two things that I see in here that I wanted to highlight. Where is the light coming from? It's the city and then it's the home, the lampstand, right? And in the city, it says a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Does anybody else have a different version out there actually that you're reading that says something different than built on a hill? That little section, you are the light of the world. And then what does it say? And you could shout it out. Anybody else set anybody else set on a hill? Anybody else? One of the reasons the versions it was an older, I think an older version of NIV just just said a, uh, a city a city on a hill cannot be hidden. It didn't say anything about built or set. But there's something specific about cities. They were set. They were built on purpose on a place. They would usually take the high ground for defensibility. 
because if marauders or, or, or pirates or people that were going to come and, and, and take over the area, they, they wanted to protect themselves and having the high ground was the best way to do it. And usually in that, those days, they would build the, the walls with limestone, the special, the special rock the spe- that they could mine out. And then what it would do is as they would light up the city at night, it would actually reflect the light. And so from a very far distance, you would be able to see these, uh, this amazing light of the city up on a hill. And you would want to make sure you got there before dark time because other guys would be coming out and you don't want to be caught at night without that. And so you would go to a city for protection, for the life, activity. Everything about that society would circle around those cities, trade and goods. And so much would happen within the city that was good and amazing and that was built on purpose in a specific way. And so he's, what he's saying is a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. You can't hide these towns. You see them from a distance. Neither, what, do you people light a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bushel? No. You know the song? Um, Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. You would usually have like a window, one one, one or two windows or so in in a house, and and you would set it up high on that window, and uh, the lamp and the light would then show to everyone. And what you would do when you would go out for the night, if you're going to go visit somebody else, you actually would put a bowl over the light. And what it would do is it would dim the light. It wouldn't put it out, but the way that they would put the bowl, it was dim it to preserve or save the light, the candle that they would have. So when they went out, they would go do that. And when they came back, they would take the bowl off and then they would have light that would fill the room. So when people are in the house, in the building, you don't put that bowl on it. You want it open and in full view for everyone. So if you have people over, you want to have the light. People are supposed to be there. It's not supposed to be empty. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. The next phrase is what shifted or rocked my heart. And it's in 16. And it says this in Matthew 5, 16. But in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. In the same way, in what way? Well, in the way that a a city is a light on a hill and the way that a lamp is a light for the home. That's how you and I are to be light. So if I think about what cities meant in that day and age, trade and goods and protection and, and, and defensibility, and it was where activity was, and, and most of the, the congregation, the, the, the people of those days lived in cities, if you could, and, and it was the place of life, activity, and protection, and home was for family and community. It's where relationships were. It's where you actually could be intimate with one another, or get to know people, and have dinners and meals, and, and so much about what relationship and good family uh, development was all about. But you can't have any of that unless if you have the light to show the way to that. So what does light do? There's two things that I believe. It reveals and it guides. It reveals that truth and, that, and, and, and then it guides you to it. So my son, um, a little while ago, he, uh, he screamed out in the middle of the night. He was fast asleep. My wife and I were asleep and he screamed out in a different kind of scream than normal. And he was just like, ah! We're like, Whoa! like, like sometimes I hear him. I'm just like, oh, okay. And I like, I tr- tr- trump over it and I, 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 hey, Levi, what, what's going on? This one though was different. This one, I was just like, okay, what, what's up, buddy? And I, I, I go in there and he's like, ah! like, and I, it took him a while to like settle down. Cause he was like, he was panting. He was like breathing. I was, I was like, what's going on, buddy? What's going on? And he was pointing and it was, it was the closet. There was, there was a different 
coat and the closet was open. It was not a normal like thing that was in the closet. And, and he, it freaked him out. It scared him. He didn't know what it was, what it was. And, 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 and so he, he had this little panic attack. Now there, there was a nightlight in there, but it wasn't enough to really show him when in the middle of the night, when he's sleeping, that it, 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 everything was safe. Everything was fine. And, and so for him, like we, we moved the light and actually made it a little different and in that room. And so then finally settled him down and, and he was good and, 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 and it was, it was great. And so then, um, and then it happened only once more, but it was different and quicker. He, he recognized it quicker because we had moved the light around there. Um, and, uh, but for me having that nightlight in, in there, I, 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 it's not for him. It's for me because there's these little landmines called Legos that are everywhere. And my boy loves Legos. And even like, even if we try our best to clean up everything, there's always that one Lego that you're like, ah, and you don't, uh, like, it, it's not good. Like that nightlight is in there for a reason. It's placed on purpose for a reason. And it's usually for me or Marissa and not for him, but that's what light does, doesn't it? Right. It reveals the good and the bad. It reveals the dangers before us, but also lets us see the beauty. If you go to an art gallery, usually not too dim and dark in an art gallery, right? You want to see the beauty of those paintings, the beauty of, of what that artist did to bring out the, the strokes or, or whatever they did. Usually they, they purposely put the lights in a way so that when you're standing in a certain spot, you see it and you're just like, wow. It just reveals the beauty in this world around us. But it also protects us from the dangers in this world, like Legos at night. Or on a trail in the middle of the night or whatever it is. Like no one really wants to go walking in. Like we've joked around, like one of the things we need to fix at our new building is the light. Uh, Because there's only a couple lights on the edge of the building. And then there's other parts around the building that are like really dark. We're like, yeah, I don't want to be there like late, late, late at night. So like we're fixing the parking and everything else and and bringing more light into that area. Um, One of the the cool concepts I love later on at the building is having a light tower. And like, it's so cool to have this place. But one of the things that I was thinking about in, in light of what um, David just shared in this last week has been for us as a staff, the church is not called to be a people that meets once a week and attends church and have a building. We're called to be salt, to be light. And that's the people. And that's where you live, where you work, what you do. You're not just light when you attend here on Sunday morning. You're actually more so when you're not here and you're out in your, your, your place. That God didn't call us to, hey, I want you to come and attend this service. Give your life to me and follow me and, and, and attend and, and then go out. He gives specific reasons about or, and ways in which we're supposed to be in this world. Where you're at, what you're doing. And it's summed up in these two phrases, I believe to be salt of the earth and light of the world, to reveal and to guide, to show the beauty of what God has for us, the blessings, all of that stuff packed into the Beatitudes, that those that are mourning, don't they need to be comforted? Those that are, are trying to do the right thing, they're trying to live a, a right way, but they, they can only be filled if they seek Jesus, if they seek God. And everything else in, in, that I read as, in Jesus' words, the more I read it, the more it enlightens me. I'm like, Dude, he was right. And I messed up and I can't do this without him. 
I need his light in me to then be able to shine out to everyone else. There's a couple of verses that I was thinking about for how do we do this? How are we to reveal and to guide? And here's a couple of them. One of them is in John 535. John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. John the Baptist, the guy that came before Jesus, he taught about Jesus. He taught, not specifically, but he taught about the coming of the kingdom and, and he burned, which was another thing that I have just even begun to understand. How do light, how do light lamps, candles give light? Well, they burn. What does that mean for me in my life? How do I burn? What do I give, sacrifice, die? Because eventually, like, but then it, what it does is it gives light. It sheds light. And so how do, how do I live a life that's burning? What does that look like? I'm still trying to answer that. But he chose for a time to enjoy his light. To enjoy that time, that brief moment. A candle eventually will go out. But for that time that you have it, it's beautiful. It's amazing. I love being filled at, like in a room where there's candlelight. At Christmas, the, the, the candlelight service, it's one of my favorite moments where you bring out, your, you bring out these candles and you light up the room and, and they burn for just a short minute. Uh, but it's, it's amazing and beautiful. I love being in a room where there's candlelight. And so we are called to be that in this world. Here's the next verse. The next verse is in First uh, Peter. Yep. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you, may de- that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Into his light. Out of darkness, into light. You can't have both in the same space. You can't have light and darkness in the same space. If you have light, you don't have darkness. It's if when you pull the light out of a space that you then darkness prevails. But if you fill this room up with these lights and you shine them and you point them, you're going to send darkness flying. You can't have both in the same space. Another verse is this one. Proverbs 4.18. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. The path, the guide, right? If I don't have light, I don't know where to step. I'm going to run to this mic or this or that. Or uh, I've, I've been hiking before on and late hikes, and it's been fun and amazing seeing the, the starlights. But if I, if I don't have enough light, usually I love to, it's by the moonlight. If I don't have enough light to see, I can't see the trail before me to know where to go, especially in some of the, the back parts of Lassen where the trails aren't that clear. And you're like, okay, wait, did I just go off the trail? Like, you've got to have that light to guide, to have that path. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. There's something about how we are to live that shines light to others, that guides them, that reveals the true beautiful light, the, the life that, that we, that we want to have. And it reveals the dangers that, that, that are, are before us in, in this world. So what, what are we to do? It's very simple. Be lit up. Be salt, be light. That's the last thing that I just put on there. I mean, it's not complicated. Be salt and be light. And what you do in your life, be salt, preserve. Preserve that which is good. When you see something breaking down, insert yourself in a right way, in a seasoned way, in a way that fits. 
that packs in whatever's breaking down to then help preserve it and to, to, to purify whatever's going on in that life. Be light. Shine. Reveal the good. Help guide those that are, that are struggling and that don't know where to go to, to point them to that which is the source of all light, the source of all truth. Be salt and be light. I want to go back to that last verse, Matthew 5, 16. It said in the same way. So in the same way as the, the building, as the city, is the same way as the lampstand, the salt, light, all of that. Like he's, I think he's putting it all together in this one statement. And one of the things that I was, I was, I read it all through. This is the first imperative that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount. Everything else, he's indicating the truth about something. You're blessed are these, blessed are this, blessed are this. Like he's not like really giving an imperative, a command to say, go do this. Now we can study it. We can read it to understand. Yes, there's something about this that we want to live in our life. But the very first imperative, the first command that he gives is this. When he says, let your light shine, shine. That's the first command that he gives. Everything else before that is a setup for what we're to do. And then and, and he continues for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And what? And glorify your Father in heaven. Why are we to shine? Why are we to, to do this? It's to bring glory to your Father in heaven. Now, glory is, is definitely a church word. It's definitely something that I, I understand and I continue to learn more about, but it, it can be very churchy. What does it mean to glorify? Can I bring it really down to what that means for me and you today? And one of the ways that I was enlightened to by David and, a, and a, another scholar was it really comes down to the idea of reputation. What's the reputation that you bring to someone? I, I think of um, one of my favorite movies is Gladiator. And, and they were like for pride and glory and this, like they, they would speak about glory in this amazing way. Uh, and, it, but it wasn't to like live. It was like, actually, like if you died on the battlefield, like you to bring glory. And it was just about this reputation that you would become known for a, the certain bravado and a certain way that you fought. It was this reputation that you would bring to, um, life, bring to a person. And so we are to live in the same way as, as the city, as the same way as the lampstand, the same way of, of how we are to be salt and a preservative. In the same way of all of that, why do we do any, any of that? It's to bring glory to our Father, to bring about a better rep reputation for God in this life. That I live in such a way that when people see me do something good, they don't go, dude, Nate, that was awesome, way to go. Now they might say that, but really at the heart of it, I want them to, to connect that why I do what I do is because of God. The other day, I, um, I was trying to live this out. Um, I was at Starbucks and um, there was a guy actually um, who was trying to pay for his coffee and he, he had his phone. That's all he had. Uh, so they have a Starbucks app, which is awesome. So you don't like have to have your wallet or whatever. You, you, you scan it. You could do it. Um, well, his phone died literally as he walks up. He's like, ah. Uh, Oh, and I, I watch him. I'm studying. I, I'm in a master's program and I'm like just studying and I'm re writing a paper and I see him and, and he's just like trying to figure it out. He's like stuck right there in the front of the line. He's trying to figure it out. He's like, what do I do? Um, search in his pockets, trying to see like, I don't have anything. He's like, 
uh, he's like, do I go back to my car? No, I don't have anything in my car. And I could see, like, he's saying some of this mumbling to himself. And I just, like, I'm like, hey, dude, like, I, I got it. So I pull up my Starbucks app and I scan it just for a couple bucks. I, I, I buy him the coffee. And, and then later, like, he, he comes back over to me and sits down. Uh, or I'm, I sit down. He comes over to me. And he's like, dude, thank you so much. Like, that was amazing. Like, I, I totally, like, my faith in humanity has been restored. And he runs off. And I'm like, that that's not what... I, uh, okay. Sorry, God. Like, uh, like, like I, I don't have faith or hope in humanity. Like I, like that's not what the, it drives me to do what I do. Like, and I don't think you should either. Like, but I'm just like, okay, I got to figure that out. And like, but what I've, I've noticed in my own life, like there's, there's these opportunities that God puts in front of me. And I believe he does in front of you where we're called to then do something to, to take our intentions and then go and do something. Um, and, and I stumble along the way myself. Uh, sometimes I get it and, and, and I have a great conversation. Other times I don't. I'm like, okay, that, that wasn't exactly the way I wanted it to go. Um, but I have found that the more that I practice, it's really like practicing, um, the better I get at it. Um, that the, the more that I do those things, I get more comfortable about how to say in the right way, seasoned with salt, just the right amount, to say just the right thing. Like, but I definitely was not great at it in high school, definitely was not great at it five years ago. Where I am at today, where I was a year ago, is a lot better. In this next, this last month, reading over this, here and there, this, this passage, definitely have worked out some things in my own heart and, and trying to do things a little bit differently. And, but we are called to be salt, be light, to glorify God, to bring about a better reputation for him, that the way in which I live my life would shine light into, you know what? God is good. Yeah, people are messed up. People are hypocrites. Like, but, but God is good. He's got it. He's the source of all blessing and, and honor and, and, and goodness in this life. And it's not us. And I'm going to work out this thing called faith in my own life in a way that I hope would maybe inspire other people. Um, we did the Easter egg event a little while ago. Um, awesome thing in our community to try to just like say, hey, we love our community. We care for our community. We had thousands of people come out to this thing over the last several years. We had a Halloween event as well. I heard the best and most heart-wrenching comment ever this last time around. Um, and I'll see, see if you catch it. So we, I had a, um, filled out a survey from some volunteers and one of them comment, commented back um, uh, that on their uh, family, on their way out, had told this person, this volunteer, um, that Wow, like, thank you so much for doing this. My kid had a blast. They had so much fun. I can't believe a church would do something for people they, would, they don't even know. And I was like, proud? I was like, yes, that's it. That, that's what I believe Blake Hills should be about. Like, yeah, we should be in the community for you, for people, to, to love on you, to, to provide. It's, it's really just a simple thing that, that, that people would, would have a, a place that's fun and safe. Uh, from everything else that's going on, a little pocket within their Easter celebration weekend or Halloween, a little pocket of, of greatness and goodness that, that they can play and their kids can have fun. And that this person got that and that we would do that. But what's the other thing that I felt? That's the reputation that was set in her head, that churches in general, what they don't do for those that they don't know. What we did in her eyes, was different than the reputation, the perception that she had of the church. And I'm like, oh, you've got it. Like, 
Yes, you got it right. But how many other people in this world, they've got it wrong in their hearts, in their heads. Something's happened because they've run into a Christian living in a way or ran into a church functioning in a way that caused them to believe that church is not for those that they don't know, that it's inward focused, that it's not about service or generosity. How did that happen? And and why do people have that in their minds or hearts? And I want to do everything I can to change that. I don't, I I don't want us to hide our light, to hide what we have. Because when I read scripture, when I come into contact with Jesus and he does a work in my heart, I am wrecked, but in a way that makes me thankful. It is so weird. It is a way that like, I'm like, yes, I, I don't have it, but God, you are good. And you still love me. And you call me your child. I am blessed because of you. Why would you do that? Your grace is so amazing. I am yours. Really? And I want other people to have that. I want other people to experience what I've experienced. But I don't want to hide my light. Because when we do, this world misses out. People miss out. And they, they form these perceptions, this, this way, this reputation, and God's glory dims. So the way that you live your life, may you live it in a way that causes other people to say, there's something different about you. That was cool. And it causes them to go, you know what? Yeah, God is good. You have phones? Why don't you bring out your cell phones? If you have a cell phone, take it out. And either just ha- turn your brightness up to high or turn on your light. So if you have that, please, everybody, if you have a phone, I want you to do this right now. I'm going to try this out. We'll see if it works. Um, I've seen people, I've seen this happen with um, candles. I actually haven't ever done it with cell phones, but I didn't arrange everything to happen with candles in here. It would take a little bit extra time. And you already have cell phones, a bunch of you. So if you have cell phones, do it. Literally, every single person right now. Take out your phone right now and turn on your light or turn your brightness up to to full um, on there. All right? You got it? You got it? Okay. So we're called not to dim our lights, not to to be um, put a a bowl over our light, right? To, To be a light in this world. And I referenced the candlelight service at Christmas as one of my favorite um, times. There was a pastor that did something different with this time that I, it was an awesome illustration. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to dim the lights in here. And what this pastor did was tell everybody to take their light. I want you to hold it up. Nice. It works. Point it up at the ceiling if you want to. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, what I want you to do, everybody, take your light and slowly move it down. Place it in your lap. See what happened? All your lights are still on, right? What happened in the room? That's what's happening in our world. To the degree that the church... We, as a people, raise our light and let it shine. It brings light to this world in such a valuable, purposeful place. Just as a city was placed on purpose 
where it is you are placed on purpose where you are in your job at home whether you're a teacher whether you're an electrician whatever you do you are placed on purpose where you are to shine your light you are called to not be a pastor and be up here and teach this is one portion of our week what do we do with the other hundred of hours that we have in our week that's where we as the church are called to be the light there is extreme value to what you and i do as salt and as light another friend of mine talked about a modern day example of what happens in terms of salt and this is what i'm going to finish with he was on a mission trip in Honduras and they were as they were prepping for this mission trip the whole bunch of the team got sick often that happens in mission teams but this time like over half the team before they even got there was sick and like they couldn't go they couldn't go out and so what the remaining people did was they worked harder they worked as hard as they could all day long sweating and working and working and drinking water and this guy he's from Arizona and so he knows what it looked it's like to be hot and working hard you got to drink a lot of water and he got thirsty and so he drank a lot of water and he worked really 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 hard and at the end of the night um he was sleeping and he woke up in the most intense pain he had ever had in his life he was sick and he didn't know why he was so sick and they're in Honduras and 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 they're trying to find a translator and somebody that could take him to find some place that they could go and somebody said I know a guy and so they hop in a truck and he he goes and he's just in pain and he goes and he get, gets into this place and and he's expecting to hear somebody um not speaking English and this guy goes hey what's up he's like oh thank you uh cuz my friend he doesn't speak any Spanish or any anything else and so he's like oh okay, okay this is good okay um so then uh he explains what's going on and the 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 guy's like okay so he goes in this back and he pulls out this little bag and he hooks it up and the instant the instant the guy hooks up this little bag my friend is like whoa that was what what i feel so much better like right away what did you give me guys like salt it was saline that's all he did don't underestimate your influence don't underestimate what it is that why god has placed you where you are it's not that you will become salt you are salt Jesus said you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. How effective will you be? How effective is your influence? Will you pray with me? Dear God, I pray that we would be salt, be light. God, may you do a work in our heart to understand how when we step into our world tomorrow that we can live in a way that points others to you to reveal the goodness of who you are the goodness in this life of putting a f- our faith in you of following you god help us to to stand up against things that are being torn apart against evil and and heartache against mourning god that, that we would take your blessing in our own life 
and share it with others. God, I pray that you would help us to be a church, no matter where we meet, that when we live our lives from Monday through Saturday, that we would be the church, that we would be salt, that we would be light. And the way that we live would honor you, bring glory to your name, and, and give you a better reputation because of the way that we live. God, help us to be a people that is generous. Help us to be a people that is for others. God, I praise your name. And God, as we sing this last song, may you do a work in us that sends us out this week to live differently. And God, in a little bit, we'll take offering. And I pray that you will use that in this church, in this community, to do an amazing work. So Lord, we give you praise. We give you honor. In your son's name, Jesus, the church said, amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.